This week on Viewpoints. He asked for a break. He was not given what he needed to stay safe. And he died, unfortunately, on his way home with his son. Hotter temperatures are worsening conditions for millions of outdoor workers. What's being done? Then, concrete, for instance, it's the second most highly consumed product on the planet. Concrete, steel, wood. What makes some building materials better than others? I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. You take steps to stay healthy when at the pharmacy picking up vitamins or filling a prescription. May I help you? Take another healthy step right now and ask the pharmacist how Prevnar 13 can help protect you from pneumococcal pneumonia, a potentially serious bacterial lung disease. If you're 65 or older, a trip to the pharmacy is a lot more pleasant than a trip to the hospital because of pneumococcal pneumonia. Help protect yourself with the Prevnar 13 pneumococcal 13-valent conjugate vaccine, diphtheria CRM197 protein. Prevnar 13 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 13 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 13 does not protect against all strains of the disease. Stop by the pharmacy today and ask about Prevnar 13. Learn more at Prevnar13.com. Don't get Prevnar 13 if you have had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with a weakened immune system may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-866-694-9300 or visit Prevnar13.com. It's been a sweltering summer. Excessive heat waves with no end in sight have swept across much of the country. In fact, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration reported that June was the hottest month ever in the U.S. since record-taking began 141 years ago. July also topped the charts as the hottest month ever on the planet. Travel to the western region of the country and several states are still dealing with scorching temperatures, persistent droughts, and a brutal wildfire season that's just getting underway. For the more than 32 million people who make a living working outside, this shifting climate isn't just a nuisance, but is life-threatening. Each year, more than 65,000 people visit the emergency room for heat-related issues, and about 700 die from heat, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. When a person is exposed to extreme heat, they might start to feel nauseous or dizzy or start to feel other signs of dehydration. And if they're not able to access shade or drinking water, those symptoms can progress into increasingly severe heat-related illness. That's Dr. Rachel Licker a senior climate scientist with the Climate and Energy Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists. The UCS is a national nonprofit organization based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Licker notes that the majority of people who work outside for long periods of time are in low-wage positions in agriculture, construction, and food service. This can mean picking bushels of berries out in the fields or pushing an ice cream cart down a beach for hours on end with little rest or shade. In the U.S., the laborers that fill these jobs are disproportionately people of color, immigrants, or undocumented migrants who have limited work options. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, requires that employers provide a safe work environment, but 
there are no specific measures that employers are required to follow to keep workers safe in the face of extreme heat. And when you couple that with the reality of our work structures and, for example, farm workers are oftentimes paid for what they produce and what they pick. So there are perverse incentives for these workers to continue working in the face of extreme heat. And, you know, we don't have mandatory measures on the books that can guarantee these workers their wages even if they're not able to work because it's not safe. And we also hear instances in which workers will request breaks, request access to shade and drinking water, and they're not afforded what they need to keep safe. And that's why we have injuries and death on the job still in 2021 in the United States. OSHA reported that between 1992 and 2017, 815 workers died from heat-related injuries, and more than 70,000 were injured due to heat exhaustion on the job. Sometimes the protective gear that workers need to wear to stay safe from other hazards like sun exposure or even pesticides for farm workers require that they wear clothing that can exacerbate heat illness, and so it's certainly a complex issue. But, you know, again, illnesses, these are deaths, injuries that are preventable. And, you know, workers should not be put in a position of having to choose between their health and a paycheck. They should be able to take the breaks that they need. They should be able to not work. And when it's unsafe and be compensated for their time so that they're not losing out. Just like for any other industry, you know, where we get sick days, we get days off when it wouldn't be safe to work. Researchers at the Union of Concerned Scientists predict that between now and 2065, climate change is set to quadruple outdoor workers' exposure to extreme heat, leading to even more injuries, deaths, and billions lost in earnings. One person that's advocating for the rights of these workers in the legal landscape is Kate Sussman, an attorney at the Northwest Workers' Justice Project in Oregon. In her day-to-day, she represents laborers in low-wage jobs who have been taken advantage of. We hear from workers that shade is sometimes hard to find. There are certain crops, you can imagine, like uh, blueberries or crops that are low around, where there's really just not shade. We also know from last summer, when we had really terrible wildfires that encroached on some of the metro areas, like Portland and Salem, Oregon, There was an expectation that workers would show up to work, yet it were so smoky, you couldn't see, you know, a couple blocks down the road from my personal experience in Portland. So workers were having to show up in really thick smoke. There was also active COVID outbreaks going on, and heat could be a factor, too. Right now, there are no federal standards safeguarding people who work in hot environments. Instead, legislation varies from state to state. Many states don't have any kind of heat-related protections. For the handful that do, Sussman says it's still a work in progress to tighten these guidelines. One thing that for me is really important is that the high heat threshold is lower here than it is in other states. So at 90 degrees, workers have added protections. And Oregon is a state that historically has not seen these high heat events, the heat dome that we've been experiencing in much of the farming community. Workers, they understand that there are risks to it. In Oregon, that's a newer reality. So we're 
pleased that starting at 80 degrees, there's one set of protections, and then at 90 degrees, there's an added level of protection. Working outside in hot conditions is physically taxing and takes a heavy toll on the human body. Sussman says that the life expectancy of the average farm worker is decades less because of the grueling manual tasks and long hours. Just this summer alone, Sussman says five workers in Oregon died due to heat-related injuries. Heat is one of those things where we all learn to look at it like, well, this is just a part of life. It's not so dangerous. It actually is really dangerous. And we need to have a whole lot more education for employers and supervisors, as well as workers, around what does high heat exhaustion look like? What are the things you can do to protect yourself? And to make sure that workers know that heat isn't just an inconvenience, it can actually cause you to be seriously ill or it can be fatal. However, it's hard to advocate for yourself if you're feeling sick, if it means losing out on money. That's why activists like Sussman are fighting to keep workers whole and provide paid compensation. In addition, they're also working with employers to rethink the traditional 9-to-5 schedule. We have seen some employers in Oregon, some farm employers, offer workers to start much earlier before the sun comes up. A friend of mine is a farm worker, was even offered to work overnight in the fields. So some employers are taking it upon themselves to adjust shifts and to offer workers flexibility. But that's really an individual determination of an employer at this point. So we're hoping that when we get a strong permanent rule on heat and on smoke, that we have options for workers and that we follow the best science around occupational safety and health. In coming years, this problem is only set to get worse across much of the U.S. as heat waves intensify. It's important to create stricter legislation now before more lives are lost. We also very much want to stress that this is a story relevant to all of us. This is relevant to the people who employ outdoor workers because if it's too hot to work, you know, that's going to have an effect on their bottom line. This is also relevant to all of us who depend on outdoor workers because they are typically essential workers. You know, we can't have a world without them in which, you know, don't have people able to work on farms or respond to emergencies or build our homes. So, you know, if an outdoor worker isn't able to work, um, it has ramifications for all of us. To find out more about this topic, our guests, Dr. Rachel Licker and Kate Sussman, as well as links to resources, visit viewpointsradio.org. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, how has technology made building design and construction more efficient? when Viewpoints returns. Colleges and universities are trying to return to normalcy this fall. But with students living and learning in close quarters again and the Delta variant running rampant, the risk of exposure to COVID-19 is increasing. 18 to 24-year-olds have the lowest vaccination rate of all eligible age groups in the U.S., and most universities are not requiring students to be vaccinated. Erica Hirsch is Vice President and General Manager of Asymptomatic Testing Solutions at Thermo Fisher Scientific. Breakthrough infections among the vaccinated continue to occur, resulting in further viral spread and putting people at risk. 
This means that monitoring of community infection rates and frequent testing of all students, regardless of their vaccination status or expression of symptoms, will be imperative in providing proactive responses to any potential outbreaks at colleges and universities. Some prominent universities in the U.S. are already mandating regular testing of all students. Find out more at thermofisher.com slash COVID testing for college. It's the Home and Auto Bundle Extrava Festa Save-A-Thon, the annual year-long event where you could save big by bundling Home and Auto with Progressive. So big that we're kicking things off with fireworks, a monster truck battle, a fighter jet flyover, and it wouldn't be a party without the Home and Auto Bundle Extrava Festa Save-A-Thon dancers. You can't really hear them, but trust us, they are working it. So come for the fun and stay for the savings. Only at Progressive's Home and Auto Bundle Extrava Festa Save-A-Thon. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. If you think vaccines alone will protect you from COVID-19, think again. More breakthrough cases of COVID variants show that vaccinated people are still vulnerable to the deadly disease. To be safe, monitor regularly for fever, as it's the leading sign of COVID-19. Use Exergen, the only thermometer scientifically proven to detect fever. And beware of non-contact devices that miss five out of six fevers. Remember, vaccines are not enough, so protect yourself and your family with the Exergen Temporal Scanner. Learn more at exergen.com. It seems like every day there's a new sustainability rollout that moves the needle forward. Take Ford, for instance. The American Auto Company is releasing its first F-150 all-electric truck next spring. It's a highly anticipated model that propels the brand into the modern car market and caters to a wider set of consumers. In addition to cars, many of these customers are also taking it upon themselves to invest in sustainable technology in their homes. This can mean buying solar panels or smart thermostats, or even switching to third-party suppliers that provide electricity generated from wind power. On a larger industry scale, the designers and architects of these spaces are also finding ways to innovate through tech-savvy building practices and the use of better materials. In some cases, this means tweaking traditional mixtures. With concrete, coming up with different mixes of uh, materials that go into the concrete mix that would emit less carbon as a result of that chemical process. And so it's a really kind of transformative time between in architecture, between the innovations around structural materials and reducing the carbon footprint of those, and the innovations that have been happening over the course of decades now. That's Ned Kramer, a design consultant based in Bethesda, Maryland. He served as editor-in-chief of Architect magazine from 2006 to 2020. During that time, he focused on highlighting several pressing issues facing the field, one of them being climate change. I was able to put together an issue that yeah, really focused on the kind of stakes for architecture. And it was around the same time, I think the conversation was happening nationally and internationally, where Greta Thunberg and other kind of impassioned people began to speak out with significant alarm about the increasingly visible effects of climate change. For the first time, I think by the end of the 2010s, people were really able to see exactly what the effects were. It was affecting their day-to-day lives or those of their loved ones. 
So it seemed like a good time to kind of renew the call for urgency with architects. But why is the design of a structure so important in terms of sustainability? Kramer says the construction and day-to-day operation of many buildings across the U.S. produce extremely large carbon footprints. Historically, architects over the last 30 years or so have focused on the jargon would be something called operational carbon, which is the carbon that's produced through the operation of the building, right? So to power the lights, to you know power the air conditioning, the heating, et cetera, which is a significant, significant contributor to overall kind of greenhouse gas emissions globally. And More recently, the conversation in architecture has uh, begun to encompass a kind of second source of emissions that architects call embodied carbon. And that's the carbon literally embodied, to use the phrase, within the materials that the buildings are made of. Embodied carbon makes up 11% of all global greenhouse gas emissions, according to the nonprofit organization Architecture 2030. Big contributors include common building materials like steel and concrete. Concrete, for instance, is probably the most glaring example of a building material that has a high embodied carbon footprint. And the reason is quite simply the chemical reaction that occurs in the making of concrete. It's the second most highly consumed product on the planet next to water. So it's this kind of astonishing set of data that when you begin to realize it begins to kind of affects architects thinking pretty significantly. Steel is another kind of imperfect, highly sort of high carbon content product. Because of the high carbon count of materials like steel and concrete, Kramer says more architects are designing using wood as the primary structural component. Why wood? It's a renewable, eco-friendly material that's readily available. We all think of wood as something that we build houses out of, for sure, Here, especially here in the United States. That's the custom and has been for you know, hundreds of years. But we don't think of wood as something with which to build a hospital or a high-rise. But why is it that we only think of using wood for smaller structures like homes or outdoor spaces? Well, Kramer points to historical events like the Great Chicago Fire that quickly curbed its use. For many, the idea of constructing larger buildings like skyscrapers out of wood seems strange and counterintuitive, particularly as wildfires become more prevalent across the western parts of the country. However, engineers today have found a way to make the material relatively fireproof. With today's technology, the great thing is that there's a far, far, far lower risk. In fact, basically the wood is built with something called mass, uh, it's called mass timber. So it's an incredibly solid, often engineered piece of wood. It's not just a single piece of wood cut from a tree, although sometimes it is. Other times it's products that are glued together or fastened using dowels, but you have a very large mass of timber that basically chars when it's exposed to fire. So it forms a kind of natural seal around itself that prevents it from burning completely. And this innovation is just the tip of the iceberg. 
Architects are also using new technologies similar to 3D printing machines to increase efficiency and lessen construction times while also leading to less waste due to human error. There are all of these technologies that are emerging around automated construction on site, machines that will, in the same way that a laser printer can kind of print a small toy, for instance, you can actually print with concrete now. And of course, there's the question of what's the concrete mix? Is it a kind of sustainable mix of concrete and so forth? But techniques like that are also adding to efficiency and allowing for adaptability in the future. And these aren't the only ways modern architects are leveraging technology to improve the building process. Kramer says many architects are also using 3D and 4D computer-generated models for floor plans rather than traditional 2D printed ones. These models allow the designer to include more details than a standard paper copy. With all of the information in one place, the building process and any future fixes are much more accessible. What you get is a three-dimensional model where there's uh, information embedded into the model. So you're again, they're not just dumb lines, but that set of lines is identifiable as a window. And the window has these materials in it, these dimensions, it's placed in a certain way. And that model can be used, you know, the designers create it. It goes to contractor for construction, and then the model is handed over to the facility manager and building owner who can then use the model, for instance, to track warranties for certain products. So if you specify a roofing material that has a 20-year lifespan, you don't have to go through all your paper files and try to find the warranty. It's right there in the document. Even with all of the innovation within architecture, Kramer says there's more work that needs to be done. Too often, public officials and private architects operate within their own bubbles, and these sustainable practices and efficient solutions fall through the cracks. I'm hoping not for the creation of a massive regulatory structure with an incredibly top-down innovation stifling, you know, one-size-fits-all solution for the building industry. You know, it would be horrific if the federal government, you know, came in and said, you will have to do it this single way, you know, finger wag. But instead, for the federal government to serve as a convener, a bringing of all concerned parties to the table for a thoughtful but also very rapid development of systems, of ways of interacting, of guidelines. So I think that's probably my greatest wish is to see all those constituencies come together and collaborate more and for the federal government to play a proactive and positive role in so doing. To learn more about this topic and our guest, Ned Kramer, visit viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written by Bridget Killian and Amira Zaveri. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. 
Call right now to donate your car. And as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. In 2009, ESPN's 30 for 30 series sort of took the world by storm. The concept was that to celebrate ESPN's 30th anniversary, they would produce 30 sports documentaries. Many of them were very good, and it sort of showed that if you support filmmakers, they can make compelling work. Over the years, ESPN has tried to keep that concept alive, but to mixed results. The OJ Made in America docuseries from 30 for 30 is absolutely incredible, but the network and the landscape of media began to change, and most 30 for 30 entries now make a smaller splash. But I have found my personal replacement for that original magic of 2009's 30 for 30 in Netflix's Untold series. The series grabbed headlines with its Malice at the Palace documentary about the infamous brawl between the Detroit Pistons and Indiana Pacers back in November 2004. That documentary is very good and worth watching, but the Untold documentary that really cemented the series as something to watch for me was Breaking Point, which tells the story of tennis player Marty Fish his friendship with Andy Roddick, the fallout for the U.S. men's tennis stars as they struggled to live up to previous generations, and eventually a mental health issue that sort of ended Fish's career right as it was beginning to thrive. The documentary was captivating and informative and timely, especially as tennis star Naomi Osaka plans to take a break from tennis due to mental health concerns and after gymnast Simone Biles put athletes' mental health issues on an international stage at the Olympics this summer. In addition to telling a good story and telling it well, Untold Breaking Point reminded me of what that peak of 30 for 30 felt like, when sports fans were able to see a number of sports stories really take center stage. The Untold series has five films now streaming on Netflix, including Breaking Point. I'm Evan Rook. Sunday! 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 It's the savings event of the season! Progressive's Home and Auto Bundle Extravafesta Savathon. Your chance to save big by bundling your home and auto insurance. But only this Sunday! 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 Unless you're busy, in which case you can bundle Tuesday! 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 Or if you already have dinner plans, then try Friday! 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 But if the week gets away from you, you can just wait till next Sunday! 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 Because Progressive's Home and Auto Bundle Extravafesta Savathon isn't going anywhere! 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 Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. If you think vaccines alone will protect you from COVID-19, think again. More breakthrough cases of COVID variants show that vaccinated people are still vulnerable to the deadly disease. To be safe, monitor regularly for fever as it's the leading sign of COVID-19. Use Exergen, the only thermometer scientifically proven to detect fever. And beware of non-contact devices that miss five out of six fevers. Remember, vaccines are not enough. So protect yourself and your family with the Exergen Temporal Scanner. Learn more at exergen.com. 
that's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTrax Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.